Well, I was thinking this morning, it's uh, pretty nice to have Nick as our backup guy, you know. Well done, Nick, and uh, praise the Lord for that. I, and I'm thankful for Pastor Dan always working to develop people and uh, makes a big difference, makes your church ministry stronger and, um, and enduring. So I thank God for that. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And um, I know that uh, oftentimes the um, question people have in their mind is, well, where's his wife? And uh, she's talking with somebody about Jesus right now. So y'all cool it, okay? So it's all right. Um, and Samantha, I, I, I promise I didn't tell Joe to mess up on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I do. But I, I, I didn't tell him to do that. But that would have been a good joke. I wish I would have thought of that, but I didn't. So too bad. Uh, Jesus said, no city or house divided against itself will stand. I know many of us think that Abraham Lincoln said that. And, uh, and he did, but he stole it from Jesus. And so Abraham Lincoln was a plagiarist and so didn't give Jesus credit, I suppose. But um, it's an axiom of life, though, isn't it? I mean, it's not anything surprising. In any family, if it's divided, it's going to come apart. If there's a a, a company uh, that's all divided, it's going to come apart. If there's a team, and, you know, sometimes they talk about, you know, the, uh, the whole culture of a team. And, and so if it's divided, it's, it doesn't matter how talented the players are, it's going to come apart. In the case of the Reds, we just sell them all off, and so we're done. So in any church family, there are at any given time a, 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 a bunch of opinions, various opinions about all the different issues of life. And so we could ask uh, questions about uh, all the things, and I could start naming them, and then you'll be mad the rest of the church service and won't hear anything I say. But we have opinions about things, and it's not wrong to have your own point of view on certain topics. If you're a, a follower of Jesus and you're a church member, we're, we're going to see some things differently. Where we go wrong, though, is when we want to win the argument so badly that we're willing to mobilize other people around us in order to prove our point. There was a time when I was pastoring here that we had one of our church members, and this particular person, during and between Sunday school time and after Sunday school, would go around and try to mobilize people to come to that person's point of view against me just working the crowd that is division that is horrible that is unchrist-like that is wanting one's way no matter what damage it may do to the congregation we don't want to be that kind of person do we we don't want to win the argument and mobilize people to come to our aid no matter what it does to our church family now, let's make sure we're on the same page here, okay? So let's make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. We're not talking about, in this situation, persistent, unrepentant sinfulness in our membership. And we're not talking about heresy and denying the Word of God. The Bible is clear 
that in those kinds of situations, we need to create division. We need to get our space from those kinds of people. Those that are unrepentant in their sinfulness, those that are preaching and teaching unrepentantly heresy, those that are denying the word of God, then yes, those people are not one of us. And so just playing nice with them is actually sin for the church. We're commanded to take care of that, to cast that out from among ourselves. As the Bible says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. And so you have to get your space from that. So we're not talking about play nice in all situations. What we're talking about in this particular section of Scripture is differences of opinions about things that are not essential or eternal. In our day, things like social justice and worship styles and coffee or no coffee in the sanctuary and which Sunday school literature to use and what color should we paint the church walls and so on and so forth. These things can create friction in a hurry, even in the best of churches. And churches can come apart over those things. I know of a church in Ohio that it was planted because they wanted a particular songbook used. And they were willing to go out and reject their church family in order to use the kind of songbook and worship that they wanted to use. Can you believe that? Be careful, brothers and sisters. You may find yourself doing the same thing. I've been lectured in here before by a church member of a worship style. Wowza. Friction in a hurry. Cause churches to come apart. And then worst of all, it soils the reputation of Jesus in the community for decades. And so Paul is addressing these trivial kinds of divisions in the church in Corinth. Remember this, Paul started this church. That gives me some hope. Even the churches that Paul started had problems. He didn't get it all right. Did He didn't get it all fixed. God's people just have a tendency to pull to the right or the left. I don't know why, but we do. We, we waffle between uh, libertinism and legalism all the time. And so it's, it's so hard to keep just biblical on track. And so we go all over the map. And so we have to have someone that comes in and takes the word of God and lays that aside next to our behavior and next to our attitudes and our opinions and says, look at what the Bible says. And so that's all that Paul is doing here. And so if we're looking at verses 10 through 17 this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this whole section of the Bible of 1 Corinthians, I would just call it toolbox for a healthy church. What are the things you need to fix in order to be a healthy church? Or what are the things you need to guard against in order to be a healthy church? And so you have, first of all, the plea by the apostle. And he says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's his plea to them. His plea to them is on the basis of their common bond. I appeal to you, brothers. Now, the word appeal means to call them aside. Have you ever played on a sports team that a coach call you aside? Yeah, it's not always fun. But, you know, if you turn the ball over one more time, you know. And so you, you've had it. It's call you aside. Maybe it's a school teacher that could kind of call you aside. It's, it's not for the purpose of being mean. It's for the purpose of positive correction. What about if your parents ever called you aside when you were a kid and you got too rowdy, you know, you're at some social event, some church event, you're too rowdy, and, and you know, your dad will call you aside, like, hey, 
Man, you know, you know, you better straighten it up in a hurry. So that's all Paul is doing. He's just calling them aside. He wants to talk to them for a moment. Just stop everything that you're doing and let's have a sane conversation, he's saying. Now he's appealing to them. And what is the basis of his appeal? What, what, what is he grounding it in? Here's the thing I notice about Paul so very often. Paul doesn't say to them, number one, I'm a stinking apostle. Don't make me call down fire from heaven on you people. Secondly, he doesn't say, I planted this church. Who are you all to behave this way? He doesn't appeal to them on the basis of himself. Isn't that interesting? Instead, what is the basis? What, what's the foundation? Where's the authority in his appeal? What is he believing is going to draw them together? He says, I appeal to you, brothers. They share a common bond as siblings in union with Jesus. That's the basis of the appeal. But we're brothers and sisters. That's the basis of the appeal. And so you've heard the phrase blood is thicker than water. And that means that our ultimate allegiance is always to our blood relatives, right? At least that's what they say in West Virginia. Well, if you're a Christian, then guess what? The blood of Jesus is thicker than human bloodline. It is your ultimate allegiance. This is the basis of the appeal. Brothers, brothers and sisters in union with Jesus. Now, he also appeals to them on the basis of their common belief in the rest of this first half of the verse says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The basis of his appeal first is their common bond together, but also their common belief. He says, look, our, notice that, our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just say the Lord Jesus Christ, which would, that would be enough, but our Lord Jesus Christ. We share belief in him together. We have a common surrender. We have a common confidence in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Julie and I used to worship in a church in Dakar, and it was the International Baptist Church. We were not uh, attending an evangelistic Bible study and planting a church every once in a while. We just take a break because we wanted to hear something in English, if you don't mind. And so from time to time, maybe once a month, once every two months, we just attend this church. And, and so the worship leader was Winifred. And he was uh, from Ghana. And Ghana, he would, Winford always say this, welcome, he'd be a huge smile, welcome brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Winford was the worship pastor. And then our preaching pastor was Kwashi. He was from Togo. And then we had the choir. And the choir was from Sierra Leone. And then we had in the congregation, we had, I remember uh, this one couple from Ethiopia, and they attended. We had Brother Benjamin from Bangladesh, who could not sing a lick, but he wanted to, and you could hear him. And so we had Brother Benjamin, and so he was from Bangladesh, but he was fleeing from the, the, all the civil war and stuff there. We had the U.S. ambassador, the ambassador from the United States, sometimes would attend there. We had a few guys from the Navy that would come. 
We had missionaries from Germany. We had missionaries from Switzerland. We had missionaries from South Africa, people from all different ethnicities. And then we would have some of us folks that were Americans that were also missionaries. And we would be attending this worship service together at 112 degrees with no air conditioning. And it was always the same thing. Welcome, brothers and sisters in Christ. What was the common bond? The common bond was our common belief in the Lord Jesus. That was our commonality. That's what we shared in common. When a church begins to experience inner turmoil and friction, you need to call yourselves aside and appeal to these two things. We have a common bond like no other bond. The world is constantly trying to duplicate this bond that we have. They try to duplicate it with a sports team, right? They, they try to duplicate it with band of brothers. They try, everything, trying to duplicate all the rituals and th things that people go through, trying to duplicate it. And it cannot be duplicated. It cannot even be duplicated in your biological family unless all of them are believers. There is an eternal bond. And so you must always appeal to that. And your common belief, your common surrender to Jesus as Lord. And you ask yourself this question. This issue that we're dealing with. What is it in light of all this that we share? And what we come to the conclusion is simply this. It's not a big deal. Julie and I were driving down the road not too long back. And there was a guy, I, I believe it was a wrecker he was driving. It was some kind of big truck. And on the back of it, he just had this across it. It's probably fine. And so we just kind of, you know, sometimes things are coming up. And Julie and I was like, nah, it's probably fine. And so sometimes you just got to look at things that go on in church. And just step back from a minute and go, in light of the fact that we have this eternal bond in Jesus. And we have a belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've been called from out of darkness into his marvelous light. This other thing, it's probably fine. It's not that big a deal. But we have a tendency to amplify the trivial and minimize the eternal. Recognize that sinfulness in ourselves. And when we recognize it, it will help us to flip the order back. And that's all Paul's appealing to them about. Just get the order right. Just make the big thing the big thing and the little things leave them as little things. Well, the problem is addressed now. Here's, he, he gets into it now in verses the second half of verse 10 and through verse 12. The problem is, is addressed here. Look at this. He says that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What do you think Paul would say about the saying, we're just going to agree to disagree? He said, no, that ain't good enough. That all of you agree. Come to an agreement. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, Chloe, I told you I was going to say your name. Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, I'm getting ready to say some things to you that are true, so just hang on. And they're true about you. So just, just hold on. Now, first of all, for these people in Corinth, their attitudes were divisive. He, he, Paul saying, I, no division among you. None. Be united. 
Same mind, same judgment. So what does he mean by having the same mind? He means having the same perspective. What, what, what does he mean by that? Look at the situation through the lens of the Word of God. Put God's glasses on when you look at the situation. Stop looking at it through your own experience, through your own human perception. Stop doing that. Instead, look at this from the, the lens of eternity. And the same judgments, what the same opinion about this. The problem is that these Christians were boisterously voicing their opinions about non-essentials. And they were doing it in such a way, they were trying to force people to take sides. I pastored a church one time in which it wasn't this church. So you got to rest easy for a minute. Breathe. Everybody breathe. We had a big issue over green beans. I kid you not. And I am not exaggerating this event. What happened was, we had this lady, she came to know Jesus, and after she'd been there a couple of years, uh, she uh, willingly, but probably without great amount of insight, uh, agreed to lead in the, the kitchen committee, right? The food committee. And she agreed to lead. We didn't have any leadership. A lot of the other ladies had been on it. We were getting older. And they really couldn't put the energy into it. So she said she would lead. And so she did. So she'd organize the things for us. And she'd have food. And she'd have it hot and all that stuff. So we had a big event up there one time at our church. And it was getting down to the end, you know. And she had, you know, those, you know, those old pans you got there. And the burners are under them. You know, it's keeping hot. And so we had about three of those of green beans, you know. And a little bit in this and a little bit and a little bit in this one. So she decides that she's just going to dump them all into one. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Well, one of the women that had been around there for a while just had a complete meltdown. And we're like, what in the world? And she comes to me, I'll not have it. And I, I, you, you'll not have what? More green beans? I will not have it. Someone mixing their green beans with my green beans in this church. I, I mean, I was like, I thought we were having a good time. I mean, I was on cake by now. And so I'm all good, you know, third cup of coffee and cake. I mean, what could be greater? I mean, I probably need to get a blood pressure check, but it's all good. So um, I, I'm like, what? What do you want me to do? I, that woman in there, she has mixed my green beans. And she hops out of the church, you know. Well, that's a buzz killer. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Shall we sing a song? What shall we do now? And um, so the next time we have an event. And oh, Lord, they had put green beans on the menu. And so we're organizing when to bring your food in and stuff. And this woman marches up to me. She makes a big deal out of it again, and she does it loud enough where people can hear. And so, guys, okay, so any of you guys are younger and you're thinking about being a pastor, what you're going to have to do is, is do this. Overlook the stupid things I do. Just mark this down as don't do this. Are you ready? This is a don't do if you're a pastor. I'd had enough of it. I mean, I'd had phone calls about it and everything. I'd had enough of it. So I got up the end of the church service and I said this. I said, I'm going to tell you all something. We're getting ready to eat. And if I hear one word about green beans, I am taking all of that food 
and I am throwing it out in a church parking lot, starting with the green beans, and I'm going to Skyline Chili. They were all like, oh. Well, it was a little tense around there for a couple of months, but it stopped the green bean chatter. This is the kind of things that churches can get bent out of shape over. What is the point here? This is the inability to look at this from the perspective of heaven. One person worrying about not getting credit for their own green beans. And you say, well, I would never do that. This is an attitude in which we say, I want my way. And I'm going to have it. And if you don't give it to me in this church, y'all are going to pay the price. I don't know if you recognize this or not, but I'm just going to give myself some credit. All I did when I got here was bark down the bullies. They're just bullying y'all. And y'all were so kind and so nice that you just let them do it. Because you just didn't want the controversy. You didn't want to deal with it. You know? And, but this is the way. I'm going to have my way. It's my way. I'm going to have it all over their own opinion. And, and so they would rather be right than to love God's people. You know, I say to our staff people all the time, I say to them this. Look, you've got to step back from this and look at it from the perspective of how does this help the whole church not just what didn't go wrong in my situation or in my ministry what didn't go right or whatever it's not just that it's how does this affect the whole church you got to look at it from that point of view and these people didn't and in Corinth they're having the same problem now not only their attitudes but their allegiances did you see this in verses 11 and 12 that Chloe tells on them and because they're quarreling, and, you know, our Chloe hasn't done that much. Sometimes she tells on Silas, but that's about it. But here's what Paul says. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So what's going on here? The members are developing preacher cults. Even some of them were self-righteously saying, that they were members of the Jesus tribe. Evidently they were saying it in such a way as to be self-righteous and looking down upon their fellow church members. Now, I want to try to help you here if I can. I've had this kind of thing in every church I've ever pastored. People have had such a loyalty to the pastor that they lose sight of their loyalty to one another. And people have rejected their church because their loyalty to their pastor was so extreme and out of balance. Loyal church membership, get this now, I want you to get this. Loyal church membership is vastly more important than your loyalty to a single pastor. Your loyalty to your congregation is the priority. Under Jesus, of course. But your loyalty to your congregation is vastly more important than your loyalty to any one pastor. Live by that. Practice that. Have you ever watched the Christmas Carol? You know that movie? 
You know when the ghosts of Christmas past comes and haunts? If you all mess this up, the ghost of pastor past is coming to haunt you. Don't embarrass me. Okay, don't. Your loyalty is to the Lord Jesus and under him to one another. Every pastor likes to be appreciated, of course. We all do. But it is sinful if a pastor lets that dedication that the members have to him bring destruction upon the congregation that he pastored. That's thinking more highly of yourself than you do of the church. When I preach my last Sunday here, I will not be so insecure as to try to get people to continue to look to me as their pastor instead of the pastor that God has given you. That would be selfish and it would be wrong. We respect our pastor, but our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus and then because of him, our allegiance is to one another. Do not give up on each other. God has bonded you together for a purpose. Pastors come and go. They're just a temporary gift on loan to the church. Do you understand? I pastored three churches. And every time, the pastor did not do me the courtesy of just leaving. I don't know how to say that any more plainly. Just get out of the church's business and go on. If you have resigned from that church, it is no longer yours. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Julie and I have committed to being your friends uh, for, for life. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> Let me rephrase it. For some of you, yeah. And we'll, we'll be your friend. You know, it, we, we're, you know, we're not going into exile, you know, like Isle of Patmos or something. You know, it's not that. But the church business will no longer be our business. We'll hear about your kids and all that. But don't call complaining about your pastor. Okay, I, I don't need to hear that. You, you know, and I'm not going to side with you. I'm going to side with your pastor. It's a cult that we're in. And so I'm going to say, you know what you need to do? You need to pray for your pastor and you need to follow his leadership. If the rest of the church is following, then you, you need to get in step and, and come on. Now, isn't that nice? How's the weather? January up there, is it? Well, guess what it is here. Okay. So, but you know, we, we want to encourage you. We'll be friends to you, but, you know, and, and you're not going to be able to, you know, go to a church where I'm preaching because that ain't happening. You have to stay here. And you have to walk with your brothers and sisters through this. So Julie and I, your brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity, will be your friends as best that we can on this earth. But when that day comes for the transition, we're no longer your pastoring family. So you can't lean on us for that. Does that make sense? I hope that it does. Right? A few of you have asked, let me help you with something else here while we're just talking. Um, some of you have asked, well, would you do my funeral? I would be glad to do that if I can, but let me say this to you. You need to contact your pastor first, just out of courtesy, kindness, and respect. 
Do not go around behind his back. Do not circumvent him. I don't care how much you dislike him. He probably equally dislikes you. But you need to go to your pastor and say, Pastor, listen, I, I'm going to, you know, that time's going to come and let's, let's get this worked out. And if you're still here, you know, you're going to be my pastor. But would you mind if my former pastor had a part in it? And if so, would you call him when that time comes? Okay, he'll make a note and, and he'll do it. It's okay. But do not insult him. Do not belittle his ministry in front of God's people, in front of his church. Don't do that. Don't make it awkward. Some, some folks here at our church made it awkward for me. Like, oh, I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to even go to the funeral or not. I'm not, really, I'm not sure if I'm even welcome to this thing. I wouldn't even talk to him about it. I have no idea. And so it makes it weird. Don't do that. Contact your pastor. That's the person God's assigned. Don't ignore God's assignment, the one he's assigned to you, don't ignore that person. That's just wrong and foolish. Let me also say this. You guys know how memory works. The further you get away from the event, the better things were. So just, just remember that, yes, I was a great pastor, but not as good as you might remember me as. Whatever problems your pastor is currently having, we probably had the same ones. Whatever struggle that's going through in the church, we probably went through it too. So don't idolize those that have moved on and think the one that God's given you is dirt. Okay? It doesn't work that way. So you've got to promise me you're going to do that or else we're going to, I'm going to get you. I'll come back. And you don't want that. You know Paul said? When I come there, I want to come as a nice guy. Don't make me come as a mean guy. So just do that. All right. So hopefully that will help you. And I, I do mean that in love. I really do. I know I joke with you a little bit and make fun, but it is a serious matter. So do, do your best with that. And you say, well, I don't feel like doing it. Ask God to help you get your feelings right. It'd be okay. All right. Now, the prescription for uh, what's ailing them in verses 13 through 17. And we've got to finish this up. And Paul just asked some questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And this is funny if you know the history of this. Verse 16 goes, oh, oh wait a minute. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. And his household was like the first believers in Asia. So you better remember this one, Paul. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot about that one. Beyond that, I, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. I don't remember. I've had those before. <laughs> went to the homecoming church homecoming they asked me to come preach and this young lady coming and she just talked to me and everything and I couldn't remember her name to save my life I mean it's been you know 15 years and I said now what was your name again she said pastor you baptized me I'm like oh okay so I did um but uh, Christ did not send me to baptize this is a good verse of scripture for your church Christ friends Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel those are two different things And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is so important, this section of Scripture. So let me give it my best shot. How to cure this? How do you cure division? First of all, focus on the Christ of the Bible. Focus on Him. Is Christ divided? The answer is no. And the word divided means to cut in pieces. Do you know what happens when churches get stupid and they 
get in a big controversy over things that don't really matter. Do you know what it looks like in the community? That you're chopping Jesus to pieces with a machete in public. The church turns on its own savior and attacks him. That's what we're doing. See, we think we're attacking each other and we, don't, we, we forget this. It's the body attacking itself. It's the body of Jesus mutilating itself. Cutting itself to pieces. Christ is not cut to pieces like that. We're not to savage him. Paul is rejecting here any kind of false allegiance to himself. He said, we, you, you can't divide up in, into little groups based upon who baptized you. Paul first was, he was a, the church founder here who helped start this church in, in Corinth. And he was there about a year and a half. And then after him came Apollos, who was a great preacher, great expositor. And so Apollos was there about two, two and a half years or so. Evidently, Peter uh, sashayed through there from time to time. And so who knows who else? And so they were aligning behind. I like Johnny Mack. I like John McCarthy Jr. I listen to well, I listen to Bodie Bauckham. That's who I listen to. I listen to Alistair Bay. Paul said, that's stupid. Stop doing that. Instead, what are we to do? Everyone who's truly been a Christian, who's truly a Christian, has been baptized into Christ, I thought. The human instrument is of zero importance. When I first came here, I thought, you know, one of the things I need to do is give away ministry. It's, it's too concentrated in the hands of one person. Now, believe me, I'm going to have my influence and input. I, I'm going to have it. But God's people have got to take up this ministry. I remember we had a Sunday coming up, and I asked Pastor Joe, I said, Pastor Joe, you, have you done any baptizing? He said, well, not very much, very little. And I said, would you like to do some of that? He goes, yeah. And I think he was up here practicing on people. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think he was practicing on his kids, so they've been baptized like 28 times each. But but so you could pray. So, you know, and I thought to myself, this is something that Pastor Joe can do. And in and, fact, and it's great. I, I'm, I didn't come here to baptize anyway. I came here to preach. The, the baptizing, and, and, and this is not to belittle baptizing. It's a great thing. But in, in, in baptizing, it's not a complicated skill. You take them under the water, and even if you fail to bring them up, they will come up out of there. I mean, it just happens every time. I've never lost one. So it's, you know, I've had trouble. I was kidding with people in Dory class this morning. I've had trouble getting a couple of people down. And, you know, one guy is grabbing a hold of the ledge while I'm trying to baptize him and brought him back up, you know. And I'm like, that ain't going to count. And you go down. And so, so <laughs> I baptized one guy here. I remember he was, you know, all scared. And, I, and you could just, he was trying to resist. I grabbed him by the collar of that robe and boom. So, yeah, in the name of Jesus, you got baptized. So some people have a more violent denial of self than others. So, but, but baptizing is not the thing. I, I remember we started a church in, uh, in, in Africa, and I was careful about this. I knew if I baptized very many of them, then I'm going to be the, you know, like their thing. I'm not, they can't do anything without me. So the, we, we had to baptize in the Atlantic, and, and man, the waves were big that day. So... The first person I baptized, Pascal, the first one, and I, I had uh, Tom Bus said, come on over and help me, man. And so that we baptized him. I mean, baptizing the Atlantic Ocean is kind of like this, just hold him. 
you know, he's baptized. So we, you know, baptize him. And so then after that, I said, okay, Tomba, you and Pascal, you baptize the rest of them. They're looking at me and said, you, you guys can do it. And so I, I was only there to preach the gospel. I, I'm not there to become uh, the focal point of their church. And this is what Paul is saying. You can't have that kind of allegiance to humans like that. It overshadows who you, you should actually have an allegiance to, who's the Lord Jesus Christ. The human instrument is just not important. We're just nobodies. We're just like you. We're just people. Nobody in particular, nobody extremely special, just regular people. And so we can't do that. So focus on Christ and then focus on the commission from the Bible. What is the commission that we've been given? Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now this is some important stuff here. And so uh, just focus in for just a moment on this. He gives us the message of the commission that we've been given. What is that message? Not baptizing. Baptizing is the result or the expression that the commission is being accomplished. But the commission is to preach the gospel. It, it, I don't have to have a class in baptizing. I don't have to do a great deal of study to baptize. But in order to preach, you have to give of your heart, and you have to give of your soul, and you have to give of your mind, and you have to give training, you have to give your life, you have to give experience in order to preach the gospel. And Paul said, I've given myself for that purpose. That's the message. But what manner, how should it be done? I'm sure that Every one of us as preachers that we step over the line on this on occasion. Some people step over this line all the time. You have to, if, you, if you're in the public eye, you have to watch yourself. Because here's what he's saying. He, he says, not with words of eloquent wisdom. Does that mean I'm not supposed to speak well? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean I should consciously use bad grammar? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean I should slur my speech? You can't really understand it very well? No, it doesn't mean that. Should I never work on my delivery of sermons so that it's easier to listen to? No, he's not talking about that. But what he's saying is this. Remember in Corinth, you gained popular status not based upon your music, but based upon speaking. And they had, you know, it's kind of like East Tennessee where you have storytelling time, you know. They gained status on your ability, your eloquence in speaking. And you became a, 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 an icon. You became a popular person based upon that. Those two things in, in Corinth. Sports and speaking. Those two things. If you could do those two things well, you, you own the city. And so here's what he's saying. We have to avoid peddling the gospel through vain earthly status that's achieved by human means. Stop using human means as the way to convince people. When we trade the power of the gospel for mere human influence, we rob the gospel of its power. Do you not understand if you have somebody that has gained great influence in the world, you now have overshadowed the power of the gospel. You have no idea if people are responding out of the influence that this person has over them 
or whether they're really responding to the message about Christ. I have a contention. I have a rule that I think needs to be followed. I think that everybody who has, a gain, has gained some kind of great worldly status in this world, who is also a Christian, should not be allowed to speak to large groups of people, but should only be allowed to go out on the street and talk with the homeless or down at the rescue mission or somewhere where they will gain no applause and their notoriety means nothing to people. Why is that? So that the cross becomes prominent. Not the attainment of this person, but the cross is prominent. And then take the nobodies, the ones that have no influence, that have not accomplished anything, not a sports star, not a businessman, not anybody, that, not a former movie star, not a, a pop star, none of that stuff. And then take those people that have attained nothing and that all they have is Christ and give them the masses. People are safe in their hands. If you don't do it that way, you never know. I was pastoring in Knoxville for a while, and this is, not, this is not a knock on this brother at all. But Reggie White was big, and he was a Baptist preacher as well. And during the offseason, he'd come around and speak at your churches if you wanted him to come. And I never did have Reggie come to my church. I, I, I'm sure we would have enjoyed him finally, but I, I never did. It, it, there was just a conflict in my heart. And the conflict that I didn't really know now or then, but I do know now, is just simply this. Would they be responding to Reggie or to Jesus? Would they, would they believe the gospel because it was Reggie? Or would they believe the gospel because it's God? Which would it be? And I just didn't want to put my people in that position. Is the draw because Reggie knows how to hit quarterbacks really hard? Is that the draw? Or is the draw, if I be lifted up, I will draw all kinds of men to myself? Which one is it? And there was a struggle in my, in my mind and heart over it. And I would just say to you, you're looking for a pastor. Do not let any kind of worldly popularity, fame, or whatever influence you at all. Where I came from, if you would played football at the University of Tennessee and you'd surrender to the ministry, you're going to get a pulpit. You're, you're going to get a pulpit. You're going to get a place. You're going to get a place. If you've, if you've done that, it's wrong. You're, you're swaying people based on the wrong thing. Don't do that to yourself. Just don't do it to yourself. Find someone that can hide behind the cross, where the cross is so much bigger that you forget who's preaching. That's what Paul is saying. So what, what do we do with this? What do we do? First of all, this. This morning, you, you as, a, as, a, as a member of this church, this morning, you, you had to make a decision. I mean, we always come to this place, and we come to the end of this section of Scripture, and, and we have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. And your decision has to be one of two things. One, I have an agenda about this next person that's going to be the pastor, and I'm going to do everything that I can to get my agenda met. Or, my desire is the unity of my congregation. And I want to do everything I can to help us all arrive at the same place at the same time. Our allegiance intact to Jesus and to one another. And to enjoy the next season of ministry that God has for our church. 
together. Those are your choices. You, you probably have some things going on in your mind about what you'd like to see, what you'd like to see happen, and all that kind of stuff. You, those kind of things need to be dropped. And you need to have just this in mind. We need somebody that can preach the cross of Christ. That's what we need. And that's who I want our church to look for. Some of you here, maybe you, what you really need is just the gospel. You just never have surrendered to Jesus. You, you have some you know, good ideas about Jesus. You, you've heard the gospel. You think it's a pretty good thing. You don't want to go to hell. and Nobody wants to do that. But do you really want Christ? Do you really want him? That's the thing. Do you really want him? Would you be willing to turn loose of your life and place it in his hands? Do you want it that much? Would you be willing to forsake everything in order to gain him? Do you want him that much? See, most people want just enough of Jesus to keep them out of hell, but not enough Jesus to make them like him. And he just doesn't go, there are no half measures with Jesus. I just want you to know it's all or nothing. And so maybe you've never really started following Christ. This would be your time to do that today. In just a moment, we'll sing a song, and it's an invitation song. And so as the Lord moves upon your heart, let it move your body. Let it move you to make decision that you need to make for him. And so let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Thank you for instructing us as a church. Lord, we do desire to do everything your way. We really do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would keep the devil out of this mess that you instead, Lord Jesus, would rule and reign. That you would rule in every single heart and in every decision. Your wisdom would be sought, not the wisdom of this world. Lord, that the church would not be influenced by mere human influence and ability. But the influence would be the Holy Spirit of God directing. And so, Lord, I ask that you would work that in our congregation in these days father i pray for those who are here that are still ruling their own lives and have never turned their life over to jesus christ as lord and savior and i ask that the holy spirit of god would bring about life in that heart that the eyes then would be awakened and they would see the beauty of jesus the savior dying in the place of sinners taking the wrath of god in our place satisfy the penalty that we should be paying and they would put their trust in that his work for them on the cross no other grounds just that to be right with God Lord I pray these things in Jesus name Amen